all that stuff. A little different today. First, I want to invite the kids to head out to kids' ministry. So we thank our kids' volunteers, Millard. Thank you so much. And we love our kids. We're so grateful for them. Thank you all. Beautiful stuff. Okay. So as our kids head out, um, I wanted to share a few celebrations. One is uh, I, I was reading an email from Birdhouse Farmer's Market on my phone this morning. They send this out to all of their subscribers, and they talked about the local church that supported them in building a community garden yesterday, and that's Common Table. And so we're grateful. Uh, we had about 30 to 35 volunteers. I was 35 because I showed up after I wanted left. So there were four people left. They're like, thanks for coming. Really great. Great. So, um, but we're really grateful for Common Table volunteers who helped to build uh, various raised beds for the community garden that'll be here in the Randolph neighborhood. And just a heads up, when community organizations start talking about you yeah. in the life of the community, yeah. that's the good stuff. Yeah. That's not us talking. That's people in the community saying, hey, the neighborhood church is involved in our neighborhood. Yeah. That's good stuff. So thank you all for next that. Okay. Thank you for that. From next door to neighbor. Thank you, sir. That's right. Okay. Um, in other good news, uh, let's see, yesterday, um, I was late for that because I and a bunch of other folks in this room were at the installation service for the new bishop of the Virginia Annual Conference, um, Bishop Sue Hoppert Johnson. She's a very forward-thinking person, and this is a real gift to Virginia, and it's a real gift, uh, especially to a church like Common Table, that is now, by the way, and this is the third thing I wanted to announce, we are officially a reconciling community, which means that, there you go, okay. I was going to explain what that meant, but thank you, yes. Um, what that means is we are a part of the Reconciling Ministries Network, which is a network of congregations across the country um, that are officially LGBTQ affirming, inviting, all-inclusive, and we strive for that life together. Yeah. And so, we are, we are connected with that network um, because of some really wonderful work that folks in our community did last fall. So there you go. All right. Okay. Well, good morning. My name is Drew Wilson. I'm one of the co-pastors here with Stephen Poor um, at Common Table. And uh, just a heads up, here at Common Table, we strive to be a courageous community of faith, which means that we don't avoid tough topics, but we address them with great care with sensitivity and with compassion for each other. So whenever we talk about my bald spot or, <laughs> or whenever we talk about Stephen's sweater collection, we do this with great care, right? <laughs> and the same goes for when we read together tough texts from the Bible, okay? Now, this season of Epiphany, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. And today, in the text we're going to read, Jesus addresses four tough topics. Now, before I even tell you what they are, I, want you, I, I invite you to make four fingers with a hand. Okay? Can you just do that? Make four fingers with a hand. Um, and this can help you follow along with the four tough topics. Okay? And if you've got a spare hand... I invite you to gently hold those four fingers because we are going to be gentle with ourselves and we're going to be gentle with each other, okay? Jesus, however, may come across sounding tough on these four topics, and they are, ready? 
murder, adultery, divorce, and swearing oaths. Gentle. Gentle. I got this Sunday to preach. Yeah. You can laugh at me if you want, all right? Um, Now, before we read it, I want to offer some preparation. To start, I believe that there is good news in this text. I wouldn't be preaching it if I didn't, all right? I believe there's good news. You may come to the Bible or to Jesus or to church with skepticism, with doubt, with hurt. And if so, you are in good company here. And we are good company who seek good news nonetheless. We seek good news nonetheless. Your wariness is welcome here. And I say this knowing that your wariness is listening. I'm talking to your wariness right now. I'm speaking to it. I'm inviting that part of you to be welcome and to make room for that part of you that came today for a word of grace. Second, we are shaming no one today. You are going to hear Jesus talk about some tough stuff, but you're going to hear him talk about it because it's so common and so true to being human. Anger, lust, broken relationship. Both sets of my parents' parents divorced before I was born I grew up in a family culture where that was just part of the fabric. No shame. No shame. Sometimes divorce can make a way for loved ones to live more safely and more abundantly. And you will hear Jesus himself acknowledge at least one circumstance where divorce is permissible even in that time. So there is room. Okay, I just want you to hear that. There is room for faithful and careful conversation. Finally, before we read the text, you're like, come on, just bring it on already, right? Um, Finally, just a couple clarifications. One is context. Jesus often speaks to a more diverse audience, but in this case, in Matthew chapter 5, it's just men, all right? So just a heads up. It's just men, his close disciples. Look at these dorks, all right? (laughs) Don't you love that, like, people had to do that, like, Are you done with the picture yet? Please. Okay. Um, And we know that at least one of the disciples was married. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law in in Luke chapter 4. So we're going to hear Jesus speaking to men married to women in what is a patriarchal, heteronormative society of first century Palestine. Now, our audience here today is much more diverse. Thank you, by the way. Thank you for being here because that was boring. All right. Um, So we are going to listen for good news without making that world normative for us. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You all should have one of him wherever you go. Okay. All right. All right. And you do. And you do. Um, So last, you're going to hear Jesus use a word that is translated as the word hell. Now, we put all kinds of connotations with that word. Perhaps it brings to mind an underworld of permanent judgment and suffering. But that is not how they would have heard the word back then. We hear it on the other side of like John Milton, Paradise Lost, all that stuff. They didn't have that, okay? Um, The Greek word is Gehenna. 
which means Valley of Hinnom. Hinnom was a valley. It was a real place. It was a valley south of Jerusalem where the city's trash was thrown and burned. And Gehenna was a symbol then for people. It was a symbol of ending up in a place of worthless garbage and meaningless death. It's better to seek ways that lead to life now than to be living in a way that just leads there. It was the King James Version that translated Gehenna to hell, which means a whole lot of unintended stuff. So thanks a lot, King James. Okay, now, who is ready to read? (laughs) Gentle, gentle. Lauren, are we set? Thank you. Gentle. You're all like, let's just get this over with, right? (laughs) You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure, to, be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they may haul you before the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer of the court, and you will be thrown into prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. You have heard, it sa- heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body go into hell. It was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a divorce certificate. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual unfaithfulness, forces her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't make a false solemn pledge but you should follow through on what you have pledged to the Lord. But I say to you that you must not pledge at all. You must not pledge by heaven because it's God's throne. You must not pledge by the earth because it's God's footstool. You must not pledge by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. And you must not pledge by your head because you can't turn one hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, your no mean no, 
Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lauren. Woo! All right, maybe I'll get to preach on something light next time, like Revelation. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, friends, what can we draw from this? What's going on here? Okay, first, Jesus begins with this formula. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And Jesus refers to ways that we have understood something in Hebrew law. And he's offering a contrast. Not a rejection of, but a contrast to how we've understood. A new interpretation. So for instance, you have heard it said, don't commit murder or you'll be in danger of judgment. But I say that everyone who's even angry with someone else is in danger of judgment, is in danger of judgment. It reminds me of the story in Matthew chapter 19 when someone comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, well, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal or lie. And this person says, oh, I've kept all those rules. And most of us, too, we can say, well, I haven't murdered someone. Might have crossed our minds, but we didn't do it. So we're good, right? But Jesus ups the ante. He says, I tell you, if you're angry with someone, then you are in danger of judgment. So it's not just the outward practice now, but it's also the inward reality. Not just murdering someone, but the anger that could lead to that. What's happening in here? What's happening in here? Everybody gets angry, Jesus included. Remember the time that he drove the money changers out of the temple? Do we have a picture of that photograph? Oh, look at that. Oh, 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 J.P. Morgan, Chase, Wells Fargo. Oh, my goodness. Okay. But if anger, okay, if anger takes up permanent residence in your heart, I mean, everybody gets angry, but if anger takes up permanent residence in your heart, you're in danger. You're in danger. You're in danger of ending up in Gehenna, a place of isolation and waste, wasted life, empty of life. How can you make things right with people so that you don't end up there? And just so, Jesus ups the ante with Adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, if you get to looking at people with lust, you're already there. You're already there. Feminist biblical scholar Amy Jill Levine writes, by collapsing the distinction between thought and action, this extension of the law against adultery to include lust suggests that no one should be regarded as a sex object. The burden, in Jesus' example, is placed on the man. Women are not seen as responsible for enticing men into sexual misadventures. 
Thus, the references to tearing out an eye and cutting off a hand are hyperbole used by Jesus to emphasize the need for an integrity of the self in terms of the relationship between intent and action, between attitude and practice. An integrity of the self. I think this is really the heart of the text. Jesus is inviting us into integrity. Integrity. Integrity of the self between the outward and the inward. Between your public presentation and your personal life. No more distance between the two that tears us apart. And in this, Jesus is also inviting us into integrity between each other, person to person. Because we are never just alone. We are never just alone. We are ever in relationship with others beyond ourselves. As Dr. King said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We have all these tears in that garment, though in that garment that holds all of us. We have all these tears in it, these divisions in politics, divisions in geography, even divisions in who we're rooting for for the Super Bowl. And we have divisions in ourselves, that disintegration between our public life and our private life. But the church, the church exists at Christ's invitation to live differently. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Christ invites us to live into a deep integrity, to bring together our inward life and our outward life such that no matter where we are, we are fully who we are made to be. Beloved, beautiful, affirmed, integrated, with discrepancies disappearing. As Jesus suggests, no need for false words or grandiose oaths. Just let your yes mean yes. Let your no mean no. What does Dr. Seuss say? Say what you mean and I don't even know. Okay. Speak truthfully. Speak truthfully with integrity in yourself and integrity with others. And I believe that this is the meaning of Jesus' words on divorce, which I confess are the hardest for me to hear because I feel very protective of people for whom divorce was a good thing. Divorce meant an opportunity for safe harbor and for healing. And yet, here we have Jesus strongly discouraging divorce except in the case of unfaithfulness. So what gives here? The Women's Bible Commentary says that Jesus' words might be best seen as having a theological rather than a social motivation, attempting to reestablish the relationship between woman and man as it existed in the story of Adam and Eve. In other words, it's not about preventing divorce in society at all costs, but about seeking to restore the integrity of human relationship for which we were made. That is not about heteronormativity, 
but rather about integrity. I've been a part of enough weddings to know that the two people vowing to integrate their lives really do mean to do so. They do. They don't intend to disintegrate. But sometimes the unexpected happens. Sometimes relationships go through Gehenna. Sometimes, despite and even through so much patience and counseling, we learn that the best hope for restoration means going our separate ways, doing our best to bless each other as we part. And that's when we have to remember that Jesus is not inviting us to observe indiscriminate rules in our private and public lives and in our relationships. Jesus is inviting us into integrity. And that is a tough task with tough talk for tough people. So where does this leave us? At the very least, let it be a warning to me to watch what is coming up in worship and what I get to preach on. But let it also be an invitation, right? Let it also be an invitation Where in your life do you know that there's a distance between your public values and your private practice? Or your private values and your public practice? It's not just the hot stuff like anger and lust. What about how you spend your money? How you act at school or at work? What about your carbon footprint? What about how you treat the people you love? And it's not just personal. How can we be a community of integrity? Integrity between, say, our open table here and our openness to difference here and our openness wherever we go. How can we be a community of faith open to tough conversations with great care and compassion? Let our yes be our yes. Let our no be our no. Let our bread be our nourishment. Let our stories be our strength. Let Christ be our challenging and compassionate companion today and always.